dads, hope you're having a great Father's Day. And uh, once you take, be sure to have a lesson sheet. Who needs it? Anybody need a lesson sheet? Get your lesson sheet. And there's also a nice handout that uh, we'll talk about as well. Let me direct your attention there to the uh, top of your notes. There's something different about uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day. Would you agree? Here's kind of how we define Mother's Day. A day devoted to honoring moms. Yeah, right? We all got that. Father's Day. A day to beat up men for not doing a better job. You know, somehow, somehow that's, I mean, think back in your experiences, and that's kind of how it comes out. Moms, you know, oh, mom can do no, you know, harm. Dad, come on, suck it up, get better. Well, that always reminds me of this story. Maybe you've heard it, but I, I love hearing it every time, and it's this. Children uh, were begging for a hamster, and after an unusual, uh, the usual fervent vows that they alone would care for it, they got one, and they named it Danny. Two months later, when Mom found herself responsible for cleaning and feeding the creature, she located a prospective new home for it. The children took the news of Danny's imminent departure quite well. She was surprised, though one of them remarked, He's been around a long time. We'll miss him. Yes, the mom replied, but he's too much work for one person, and since I'm that one person, I say he goes. Another child offered, well, maybe if he wouldn't eat so much, it wouldn't be so messy, we could keep him. But mom held the, held the line and said, it's time to take Danny to his new home now. She insisted, go get his cage. With one voice and in tearful outrage, the children shouted, Danny... We thought you were talking about daddy. So some people may want to get rid of dads, but uh, dads, uh, everybody here, whether you're a single mom, single, whatever, everybody's had a dad. That's just a fact of life. Dads aren't going away anytime soon. And what we want to do today, as well as in the weeks to come, we don't want to beat you up. We want to build you up. And we're here to build up men, we're here to build up dads, we're here to build up families, we're here to build up uh, single moms, we're here to build you up where you are so you can become the person God wants you to be. Well, there's all sorts of things we could share, but let's, let's look at this. And uh, this is kind of a tribute to you dads. Ha-ha! This is Dad Life. That's how we live, 24-7, 365. Check me. Gas station glasses, don't care what the masses think about me with my sweet goatee. I'm rocking my Dockers with a cup and a crease. I got that St. John's Bay and the clip for my piece. I look nice. I got dozens of dollars and that's right. It goes straight to my daughters and my wife. I'm a miracle dad, making magic with the checkbook and the talent I have. I roll hard in the yard with a 60-inch cut. Zero turn radius, my neighbors say, what? They be driving by, peeping my landscape. Yo, these greens got nothing on my manscape. <laughs> Hydrangea, the coldness, Craig Myrtle, quarter that the title. Hold up, is that a weed in my fescue? Oh, no, 
round up to the rest. It's the dad life. It's the dad life. Take my daughter to the party. It's the dad life. It's the dad life. It's the dad life. Shooting bibs to the kids. It's the dad life. Roll up to the splash pad. 10 a.m. My whole entourage pops out the minivan. We splishy splashy for an hour or two. Then it's back to the house yeah. Prepping for the barbecue Brats, dogs, records, whatever Get me on the weaver, man, nobody does it better Call me Lord of the Grill I'm king of the coals Nana secret recipe, you know how I roll 1080p, 16 by 9 I'm rocking man cave status with a screen like mine Keep your peanut butter hands off my 50 inch physio Pop up the corn, roll the Disney video We got Aladdin, Jesse, Abu, the genie hey. With kids like mine, everybody wants to be me This is the dad life, no more to be said It's the dad life, it's the dad life It's the mall coaching ball, it's the dad life It's the dad life, it's the dad life a hand for that. That's just good stuff. All right. Now, the only sad thing, if you're my daughter, is that uh, I have to look at that stuff all week long, and so it gets in my head, and I proceed to make moves and sing and, and just uh, generally uh, uh, provoke my daughter, as we're going to talk about in a few moments, uh, to uh, irritation. So that's good. Dads, let's, let's give it up for our dads here, uh, past, present, and future. Exciting stuff, good stuff. Well, let's look at look at your notes. There's, uh, dads. I just want to say to you that you make a difference. I mean, if there's one thing I want you to take away today, it's this: that you make a difference. That's why the series is called "Dads Gone Mad." M A D. You make a difference. Dads make a difference. Let me share with you the difference that that you do make. And uh, we live in a day and age where people. Uh, uh, they just want to deconstruct the family. They want to deconstruct the family and say that we can invent the family and, and, and make the roles to be anything we want. But here's the reality. Fatherless homes breed not only violence, but all sorts of dysfunction, not only in that family, but in the community and in our nation at large. Start out with a little depressing statistics, but we need to be reminded because we're constantly being pushed away from the idea that dads make a difference. 63%, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and run, runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 
85% of all youth sitting in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. Dads, you make a difference. You make a difference. According to Chuck Colson, who's been in a few prisons, if you know Chuck Colson, has a dynamic prison ministry that he started, Prison Fellowship. Boys without fathers are two times more likely to end up in prison. 60% uh, become rapists. 72% of teenage murders are due or a result of being in fatherless homes. And it's not just one uh, economic or race or, or gender. Uh, young ladies who grow up in affluent but fatherless homes are five times more likely to become teenage moms. Bottom line is this. Children who live absent from their biological fathers, on average, are more likely to be poor, experience educational, health, emotional, and psychological problems, to be victims of child abuse, and engage in criminal behavior that their peers, with, that their peers who live with married biological fathers and mothers often will avoid. Now, that sounds pretty, uh, pretty bleak, but those are facts. Those are facts. And maybe, you know, the statistics can be adjusted here or there, but the reality is, dads, you make a difference. And it, it's, it's not always easy being a dad, is it? Father, A father never feels entirely worthy of the worship they see in their young children's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks. He's never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him sometimes. So he works often too hard to try to smooth the rough places in the road of those who follow him. I like this definition of fathers. Fathers are men who give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough so that they can have children that are smarter than anybody. You get that? That's not bad. Dad, you make a difference. So here's the question. Here's the question. How can a dad go mad for his family? How can a dad go mad for his family? He's like, I already know how to get angry. Why am I here? No, I mean mad as in M-A-D, Dads make a difference. How can you make a difference? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6.4. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6.4. And if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. It's right there in your notes. But I want you to turn in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, turn to it. And the answer is this. How do I make a difference? Real simple. We're dads. We're men. One sentence. Okay? Is this not written for dads? One sentence. Right? Well, you've got to keep it simple. We're men. Here's the, here, here it is. And we'll begin. Let's look at chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 1. Children, first address children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's the responsibility for a kid. We love that. I mean, we teach that to our kids. Children, obey your parents. First verse, you know, almost every Christian parent gets their kid to memorize. But look at verse 4. One sentence. Here's how you make a difference, Dad. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, he just kept, keeps it simple. One sentence. It's straight to the point. 
you know, you've heard kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Okay, well, there you go. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that's pretty simple, right? The only problem with that verse, how do I do it? Am I right? I mean, it's clear. It seems clear. But how do I do it? You don't know my kids. You don't know my situation. And you're right. I don't. But God does. And so how do you do it? Well, the sentence may be simple. Unpacking how to do it, it's going to take us a couple weeks. So we're going to, for the next six weeks, we're going to unpack this. But today I want to give you a flavor, a taste, get you encouraged, get you motivated, and hopefully you'll stay. Now, we won't have... Well, you have to just come each week and see if we're going to have breakfast or not. I won't say whether we are or not, but you come and see. Now, because sometimes us guys, we're a little slow to get it, he keeps it simple, but then he repeats it. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 3.21. Colossians 3.21. He says the same thing again, but this time he gives the result. If we don't make a difference in our kids' lives, according to this verse, what's going to be the result? Colossians 3.21, notice what it says. Fathers, and there's that word again, do not what? Provoke. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. Dad, you make a difference. This verse says you make a difference. This verse tells you how to make the difference. And all those depressing, discouraging stats that I shared at the beginning are rooted in a discouraged heart. A discouraged heart. There's a reason why fatherless kids go crazy. And it's rooted in the heart. They get discouraged. And we're going to see what that means this morning. So let's answer four questions this morning. First of all, who's addressed in this one verse? So keep your, keep your finger there in Ephesians 6.4. Open it to Ephesians 6.4. Who's being addressed? Why are they being addressed? What makes the difference, and how can I make a difference? How can I go mad as a dad? So let's look at the first question. Real simple, who's being addressed? Well, when we look at that, we need to ask, who's being addressed? Is it fathers alone? I mean, don't moms provoke kids? I mean, I, you know, ask your kid. I don't know. Is it parents as equals? Some translations will translate this as parents do not provoke your children. The, far, the vast majority of modern translations do use fathers, but something's going on there. What is it? Or is it fathers as the head of the home? Well, let me tell you a couple of reasons why I think it's, it's fathers as the head of the home. First of all, Paul uses a very different word in Ephesians 6.1. Look at Ephesians 6.1. He says, children, obey your parents. And that's what that word means. That word means parents and it means father and mother, and, and it addresses both, parents. But then he uses a different word in the original uh, language there that he used in verse 4. There's a different word that's translated fathers. The only thing is, other places in the Bible, sometimes this word fathers is also used as parents. So the question becomes, is he just addressing dads? Is he addressing parents as equals? What's going on here? Well, it's not parents generally. I believe it's parents being addressed specifically. And let me give you a couple reasons. This is just, here's a couple reasons. First of all, like I said, he switches from parents in verse 1 to a different word that's often used for fathers in verse 4. 
Secondly, the cultural context that Paul was writing. In first century uh, uh, Rome, uh, first century Roman Empire where he was writing, fathers had this unbelievable authority over their kids. As the master or the head of the household in that culture, he not only had absolute authority over the slaves in his home, but he also had absolute authority over everyone else in the home, the wives, the kids included. It was absolute, it was not Christian, and it was deadly. Let me tell you a little bit of the background. A father had virtually life and death power, not only over his slaves, but also the household. He could cast any of them out of the house, sell any of them as slaves, and even kill them and be accountable to no one. He could cast any of them out of his his house. A newborn child was placed at its father's feet to determine its fate as soon as it was born. Child born, placed at the feet of the father. And here's what he could. If the father picked it up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, the child was simply disposed of. Much in the way, in our culture, we abort babies every single day. Discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken each night to the town forum where they would be picked up to be raised as slaves or prostitutes. Hey, here's free manpower. Here's free human slavery, human trafficking. Why? Because these discarded kids, because of their dads. In fact, a letter written in 1 BC said this, If you have a son, good luck to you. If, you, if, it's, a, if it's a girl then expose it. And that happens even today in Asian countries where where girls are left in sewers, they're left, and even, sadly, we think we're civilized, we think we're a Christian nation, and yet kids are abandoned in horrible, horrible circumstances even today. But here it was culturally totally acceptable. In fact, Seneca, a renowned statesman in Rome, at the time that Paul wrote these words, so here's the cultural context. Seneca wrote these words. We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow. Children born weak or deformed, we drown. Now, in that context, Paul is addressing fathers because he's saying, dad's You have this absolute authority, not given to you by Christ or the church, but by the culture. You have this authority, but we are Christian dads. We are in Christ. Therefore, I want to address you on the proper use of this authority. Another reason I think dads are being specifically addressed is because chapter 6 comes after chapter 5. I went to school to learn that. Okay, chapter six comes after chapter five. And what does chapter five talk about? It talks about male headship in the marriage. The husband is the head of the wife and he explores all that. In fact, Bruce just preached a a series on that and we'll finish that up actually today. A, a, A final reason is this, and it's a theological reason. Any authority that dads have is a derived authority. He's speaking directly to dads because dads have a greater authority 
a greater responsibility in the home. Being the head of the home means the buck stops with you. But that isn't an authority because men are somehow better than women, that dads are somehow smarter or wiser than moms. Man, we know that's not true. It's because it's a derived authority from the Father God in heaven. And the reason we know this is in this very book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, verse 14, you may want to turn over there, chapter 3, verse 14, Paul makes this really profound theological point. And we're going to make some good application from it later in the lesson. And here is what it says. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, family was derived from God. Fatherhood is linked directly to God the Father. So whatever authority, whatever responsibility, whatever power, whatever influence we have as dads, this isn't innate to us. It isn't because we are so much more superior than our kids, than our wives. It's because God the Father has delegated that authority to us. And as we're going to see in a moment, he's going to hold us accountable for it too. All right? So I think this is talking to dads. But that raises the question, why dads? Why are dads specifically addressed here? Well, let me give you three reasons. I have them written out there in your notes and because I want you to get them. I want you to see them. Number one, as the head of the home, we have more opportunity and authority to actually provoke our kids to anger. You know, why is he focusing? Because, ladies, come on, let's get honest. We can provoke our kids with the best of them, right? Or you can. I'm saying we, but you can, right? Am I right? Moms, will we confess? All right. Yeah, amen, Jody, you're with me. All right, we can provoke our kids with the best of them. So why is he addressing fathers? Because as the head of the home, though, you have more opportunity to provoke because you make the final decision. Are you, are you with me? So that can be, you know... I can have 10 people say no, but if the final decision maker says it, that's really irritating. All right. And your kids know this, right? How many of you dads have had your kids try to circumvent you and go to mom to get an answer without asking? How many? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's here. And by the way, guys, if you're not the, the, the head of the home in reality, if you're not, guess who they, guess why they come to you instead of mom? All right. But, you know, kids know how to do that. They go to mom for one thing. They go to dad. They know how to play it. Why? Because you're the head of the home. You have more opportunity. But I think there's a second reason. And the second reason is this. You're not only the head of the home, but you're also the male in the home. You're the male in the home. And we have more of a propensity, more of a susceptibility to provoke our kids just by being men. And every woman says... That's pretty obvious, right? Yeah, you had to get that out of the Bible. If you're like me or uh, uh, Pat here, or and some uh, some of the other, but I I, just, I I know Pat and I have this experience where we're the only male in the home, right, Pat? That well, well, ju- ju- yeah, well, just Justin's here, and Justin, your dad is so thankful when when some more <laughs> testosterone shows up on the on the planet. But if you're like us then every once in a while, you just got to get out of that estrogen-saturated environment and just be around some men and do some men things, right? Every once in a while, yeah, you just got to go out and do that. Now, because here's the reality. 
We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5.18, because all of this is flowing out of a Spirit-filled life. We've got to be sensitive to the Spirit, and we've got to be submitted to one another. He talks about that, Ephesians 5.21. As dads with just females in the home, to be sensitive to what our daughters really need for us. And uh, if you haven't figured that out, guys, that's changing all the time. Is that true, Pat? Always changing? Oh, yeah, just by the minute almost. Yeah, by the minute. And if you haven't figured this out, lady, uh, guys, uh, your wife is the resident Holy Spirit in your home. Right? No, I'm just kidding. I, sort, sort of. I, I, I think. Gwen, Gwen, am I kidding? I don't know. She has to tell me. I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I know some of you right now are thinking, some of you right now are thinking, ha, you know, poor Pat, poor Chris, uh, you know, they, they just got it so rough because I've got all sons. I've got all sons. Therefore, I don't have a problem with provoking my kids because they're all boys and I know how boys act and, and we're men together. But let me uh, reword number two. Number two says, as the alpha male in your home. You are more susceptible and have a greater propensity to provoke your children. See, just because you got all boys doesn't mean you you are still more apt to provoke. And the reason being is because that raw smell of testosterone in the house can be a prime place for provoking our boys to anger as they challenge our manhood with their developing manhood. All right? So it's just a part of being men, whether it's you got all Girls in the home, you're going to have a greater propensity to provoke those girls. If you have all guys in the home, you're still going to have a greater propensity to do that. And if you have boys and girls, well, God help you, okay? Because I don't know how you handle that. Now, there's a third reason I think dads are specifically addressed here, and it's this. As the male head of the home. So you put these two together. I'm a man, and I'm the head of the home. As the male head of the home, we do have the ultimate responsibility and accountability to make sure our kids are not provoked. See, here's the deal. Everybody wants to be the head honcho. Everybody wants to be the leader. The problem with being the leader is you got greater responsibility. you got greater accountability. It's harder being a leader than being a follower. And so we are going to be held accountable. Since God the Father gave us this position and gave us this influence, we're going to have an accountability to him, and therefore he goes straight, in a sense, to the top. He goes straight to the head of the home, and he says, Dads, don't provoke your kids. Now, so here's who's... Well, let me let me say this. Dads, one day we're going to stand before God and give an account of our parenting, how we exercised authority in the home, how we led our wife our wife, and how we raised our kids. And what about moms? What if they are the ones provoking the kids to anger? I still believe he's addressing moms through the father, okay? Let me reword this for you. I'm not adding to scripture. I'm giving you application. Listen, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath by allowing your wife to continue to provoke the children to wrath by your lack of leadership and influence on your wife. Did you just get that? 
See how this all works together? Okay, it's my wife that's the provoker. Yeah, but you are held responsible by God to influence your wife to stop provoking. So wives, moms, you're addressed in this, but you're addressed through your representative head. And so dads, you can't say, well, it's all her. No, you're responsible to influence and get that behavior to stop. Moms, you have a responsibility to help your husbands not to provoke. So, who's being addressed? Dad. Dads are being addressed. Who's being addressed? Dad, as the one who shares his authority and responsibility for the children with his wife. The bottom line is, dads, you have a special responsibility, you have a special opportunity, and you have a special accountability. Now, that raises a question, because we live in a dysfunctional world, we live in a real world, where sin has wrecked havoc in the home. So what about those homes without a dad? Well, for homes without a dad, you go back to Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. The mercy of your heavenly father and the male role models that you have in this church as a part of a church family will help you to raise the fatherless. Amen? Listen, he says... He says in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 that God is the ultimate father. So, grieve the loss of a fatherless child. Grieve the pain of a divorce and whatever has caused that or an abandonment or a giving up for adoption. Grieve that, but understand that you are not ultimately left fatherless in Christ. You have the ultimate father. You have the ultimate father. You say, well, that's not good enough. I, I grieve for you because you haven't tapped in to who God really is. Because He is good enough. And He is merciful enough. And He can father the fatherless. And He's eager to do that today. So, we've seen that who is being addressed? Dads. But why are they being addressed? So, here's the second question I got in your notes. Big, bold printing there. Why are dads being addressed? And by now, you ought to be able to fill that blank in. You are the difference maker in your home. You are the difference maker. Pure and simple. You are the difference maker. And here's what you do, dads. Here's what you do. You do one of two things. You either drive your kids away from you and your God, or you draw your kids to you and your God. You either are driving your kids further away from you and from your God, or you are drawing your kids closer to you and closer to your God. Let me read Ephesians 6.4 one more time, from, and it's a paraphrase from the message. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. I love that. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Don't drive them away by coming down too hard on them. Do you realize that most atheists had fathers that were nominal Christians, that were religious men who drove their children away from themselves and ultimately from any belief in God? That doesn't take away their responsibility to believe in God, but it's a fact. Uh, there's a book by the name of uh, Fathering the Faith of the Fatherless, the Faith of the Fatherless by Paul Vitz. 
And in it, he examines like Sigmund Freud and all of his weird beliefs and psychobabble. It's rooted in his relationship to to his father. But here's what Witz says in this book. In a study of more than a dozen of the world's most influential atheists, including Freud, Witz found that all had defective relationships with their fathers. Fathers who were weak, dead, abusive, or abandoned their kids. Clearly, one's relationship with one's father has a tremendous impact on one's attitude towards God. We either are driving our kids away from us and our God, or we're drawing them to our kids. That's why I I came across this great quote, and I, I have in your notes. The very heart of Christian nurture is this, to bring the heart of a child to the heart of the Savior. That's just good stuff. The very heart of Christian parenting, the very art of Christian fathering is this, to bring the heart of the child to the heart of the Savior. And that means, dads, you've got to do more than read self-help books. That means, dads, that it's more than do these three things. Because you can't get to the heart of your kids without God's help. Amen? And you can't take the heart of your kids and bring them to the heart of Jesus and have the two connect. You can't do that without God's help. So again, in this chapter, it begins with the filling of the Spirit and the submitting to the Lordship of Christ. You can't do these things without God's help and the church's help. But with their help, it can be done. Shepherd your child's heart to the heart of the great shepherd of souls. And so let me give you a book recommendation. I have it there in your notes. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. So if you're looking for a resource to help you, dads, moms, there's a book for you to do. So who's being addressed? Help me out. Who's being addressed? Dads. Why are dads being addressed? Because they are the difference makers. Third question. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? And here it is. Don't provoke your children. Don't provoke your children. All right? There is power. There is power in that. And we're going we're gonna to break it down here for a few minutes. But then we're going to spend the next six weeks to really put rubber to the road and give you some handles with which you can apply this not only as dads, but as single moms as well. Okay, so let's look at it. Don't provoke your kids. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. I gave you all sorts of uh, modern translations. This is a good reason to, to examine, uh, compare one version with another version uh, uh, because it just gives you the full idea. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate. Don't stir up the anger in your kids. Don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Don't provoke your kids to anger by the way you treat them. The Amplified Bible says it this way, Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment. Now, this word provoke, I gave you a little practical definition. Any unnecessary action, active or passive, that causes a reaction of someone in someone else. Now, I put any unnecessary action because you can do the right thing and your kids can get angry. So, listen to me. 
I am not saying don't do anything that makes your kids angry. Are you, are you here? Did you hear me? Do I am not saying don't do. I'm saying unnecessary action. And the action may be passive, not doing what your kids need. I, I, I thought, because I, you know, I, I thought, you, you can't help but think about your father. You think about me as a father. Uh, for my dad, he, he didn't provoke by action. He provoked by what he didn't do. And he, he didn't even know that he didn't do it. Because he didn't know any better. Because his dad didn't do it for him. And his church didn't teach him how to be that kind of dad. The provoking was more a lack of an absence of direction, an absence of leadership, an absence of guidance. But sometimes we provoke by actively doing. Here's how I kind of illustrate this idea of provoke. Have you ever done something repeatedly to someone, you know, to a, a person or an animal? You know, you just kind of just keep doing the same thing. You know, do you bruise easily? I hope, I, I hope not. If you were my mom, you'd already be bruised. You know, you, know, you, ever, you, ever, you ever done this to somebody? Bryce? Uh, <laughs> you ever done? You say, well, not physically, but have you ever done it, you know, verbally, where you just keep poking? You ever poked an animal that was real passive? What, he, what does the animal eventually do? It bites, it attacks, it goes, it explodes. That's the idea of this word. Don't do any unnecessary things that are like poking and prodding someone repeatedly until suddenly there is a reaction of anger in someone. The word means making someone unnecessarily angry. It's doing something or not doing something that causes anger to grow deep and swell up in the heart of your child. In fact, look at Ephesians 4.31. Look at Ephesians 4.31, and it says this. Here's what happens with that constant prodding. So now I'll pick on Joe here. He won't bruise as easy. So you keep doing this. What's going on is something's going on on the inside of him. And I don't know Joe well enough. I may go over here. <laughs> something's going on inside of him. And you just keep bugging that guy. Something's going on inside of him. And what's going on is in the heart. And it's growing deep and it's welling up. All right? You got the idea? Listen to Ephesians 4.31. Here's what's going on on the inside. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, that deep-seated hatred. I wish you were dead type of anger. Now, what does this result in? Right in their active rebellion. This kind of provoking results in active rebellion. It may take years. It may not happen until they leave the home, but it will happen. There will be an explosion of wrath and anger. So here's the question, dads. Here's your, here's your applicational, tell me what it means, Chris. Make it simple. Here it is. Dads, what are you doing actively or not doing passively that is causing anger to rise up in the heart of your children? Now, I want you to go to three sources to find that out. Number one, ask God this week. Number one, ask God. He's more than eager to tell you. And I'm telling you, if, if you don't want to ask him, it's because you know he will tell you. Number two, ask your spouse. She, too, is more, eager, uh, more, more than eager to tell you. The reason you won't ask is because you know it's true. 
And the third person to ask is who? Your kids. No, your kids. Ask your kids. Hey, am I doing something that repeatedly irritates you enough that it just kind of is making you angry? And they may not answer you right off because they may not trust you enough to, an- to tell you that answer because they may think you'll, they'll provoke you. So you got to tell them, hey, you can tell me if it takes time. You take time, but you tell me. And uh, like I said, I've done this on other types of questions like this with my daughter, and it's always interesting. What I think, you know, you said, yeah, I got I to gotta analyze it myself. But what she'll say is often very different than what I think she's going to say. And it's an area that I wouldn't even think would be provoking or irritating. And it's really minor, and it really is minor, but to her, it's major, and I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. You know, so I'm working on the big, deep, sinful, theological things, and she's like, you know, when you go around singing It's a Dad's Life all day, week long, that irritates me, and I and do it. And I remember growing up, I remember driving with my dad, about the age that my daughter is now, and my dad, we, we would drive, and he'd do this irritating thing with his mouth of, of this noise, and I just remember, I'd just sit there and I'd get so angry and provoked by it. These are minor things, I understand. And so one time, I made the same sound. Now, this would be me. So one time, I made the same sound, and, 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 and he immediately stopped and kind of looked at me as he's driving, you know. But it was just funny. Now, so a lot of that needs to be covered with love. I, I understand that. But you don't just tell your kid, hey, just start loving me more. You need to listen, right? I could tell you other things that irritate my daughter, but they're none of your business. So, and to me, it ought to be my right. It's my home. I'm the king, but I, I, I have to quit doing certain things. All right, we won't go into that. Now, so there's the question. Now, let's go to the second verse, Colossians 3.21. Colossians 3.21. Let's look at the second verse. Because the second verse in many of your Bibles uses the same word provoke, But it's a different word with a slightly different meaning. So let's look at Colossians 3.21. Notice what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Fathers, don't aggravate them. Don't come down too hard on them or you'll crush their spirits amplified bible says fathers do not provoke or irritate or fret your children do not be hard on them or harass them let them be lest they become discouraged and sullen and morose and feel inferior and frustrated do not break their spirit now this word for provoke is slightly different and here's what here's here's my basic definition that's true to the bible but can help you uh, in life. And those two things always go together. Any unreasonable expectation that causes frustration or irritation in someone that will breed deep-seated bitterness. So notice the key word here is unreasonable. Just like the key word in the other one was unnecessary, the key word here is unreasonable. Please listen to me. I am not saying don't have expectations for your kids. I am not saying that. Unique kids need expectations. That that is healthy. That is a part of leading them and loving them. But it's talking about unreasonable expectations that causes frustration and irritation and ultimately deep-seated bitterness. The word for provoke here 
is the idea where the other one was about poking and poking and poking, you know, or repeated action. Here's the idea of kind of, it's, it's the idea of drawing a line in the sand and saying, I dare you to cross that. I want you to stop and think about your parenting, dads. Talk about, I want you to stop and think about how you talk to your kids. Do you shame them? And do you challenge them? Because, you know, it's easy to do when they're this size. It's a little harder to do when they get these three guys' size. See, as soon as they're bigger than you, stronger than you, smarter than you, then challenging and drawing that line is going to result in a fight and a conflict, and they're going to win. You say, well, they're never going to win. Well, they just won. Because you dug your heels in and said they're never going to win. Well, you just lost. Okay, is this helpful? Is this helping you? So here's the idea. What does this result in? It results in passive indifference. It results in passive indifference. So let me, let me kind of draw this out for you. So here's the idea. Uh, do not provoke through unnecessary... Unnecessary uh, actions or inaction, okay? And unreasonable, and the key word there is reason, unreasonable what? Expectations, okay? And what happens is it does one, it'll, it'll result in, in one of two things. It'll result in either passive indifference, because here's the thing, unreasonable expectations tell kids to give up and quit. Why try? It'll never be good enough. Why try? I can never measure up, okay? Or it'll result in active rebellion. What makes the difference, Dad? Do not provoke. Do not provoke. Because if you do unnecessary actions that repeatedly irritate your kids and set unreasonable expectations, you will either get a child that is dead and dying on the inside that gives up and says, I can't ever please Dad. And guess what? If I can never please Dad, I can't please, please God, and I can't please my, please my boss, so I'm just going to stay and live in the basement and play video games. At least there I can win and go to higher levels. Okay? Passive indifference. Active rebellion says, I'll show you. I'll show you that I can measure up. I'll show you that I can achieve. I'll become the CEO. I'll, I'll, I'll have the most successful family. I'll have the most successful job. I'll have the most successful Christian life. I will achieve, 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 achieve. And in the process of achieving, they've lost everything. The ladder's on the, you know, they've, they, 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 they climb the ladder of success, and, and it's, on, it's against the, the wrong wall, and there's nothing up there for them when they get to the top. All right, so here's the question for dads, as well as parents, moms, single moms, doesn't matter. Here it is. Dads, how are your expectations causing bitterness to grow deep in the heart of your kids so that they are filled with hopeless discouragement? So what are you doing? What are your actions or inactions? And what are your expectations? What are they doing to the heart of your kids? Now, let me give you three dangers of provoking our kids. And I just got to hit them here. Number one, gives ground to the devil. Provoking your kids to wrath gives, and discouragement gives ground to the devil in the heart of your child. So this is all about the heart of your child. 
And the more you do these two these things, the more you're giving up ground from God and you're giving it to the devil in the heart of your kids. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 says this, anger gives place to the devil. If you're making your kids unnecessarily angry, you're giving them place to the devil. Number two, it grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit. It grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And this kind of, this kind of relation build, this kind of relating in the home shuts down the influence of the Holy Spirit in your home. God's not, and the whole time, you know, we may be quoting scripture. The whole time, we may be taking them to church. And the reality is, those are external actions that lack the internal move of the Holy Spirit. It's squelching that. And then number three, it grows a root of bitterness in your child. Your child becomes a root of bitterness. Now, I'm not saying they're all going to become atheists like the illustrations, but do you realize men like Darwin, Freud, Stalin, Hitler, these men have wrecked havoc in our culture and in our history. And a lot of it is related to dads who were nominally Christian, nominally religious, and lousy dads that drove these guys to make become roots of bitterness that has fallout all over the world. So, here's the, here's the final question, and we end with this. So how do I not provoke my kids, Chris? You convince me. The Holy Spirit's at work. I, I, I feel God talking to me. How do I go mad as a dad? Here's, it's real easy. Obey, obey your heavenly Father's do's and don'ts in the power of the Spirit. You see, we tell our kids, do this, don't do that, and we want them to obey. Well, here's the thing. In Ephesians 6, 4, your heavenly Father, Dad, gave you... A don't and a do. Don't provoke. Do disciple. Do disciple your kids. Don't provoke them. It's not enough to stop these behaviors. You've got to replace them with diligent dad time leading their heart to the heart of the Savior. Now, the rest of this series is going to help you do those do's and don'ts. But you've got to do it in the power of the Spirit. You got to do it in the power of the Spirit. Rest of the series is going to help you. Next week, we're going to look at nine ways that we provoke our kids. Nine ways that we do it. So if you if, if you're not provoking and you want to get in on this lesson, come next week. You'll have nine ways to provoke them, and then how to stop doing that. All right, how to stop doing that. So here's it, dads. We make we're the different makers. You're either drawing or driving your kids away. But here's how you go mad as a dad. Stop discouraging your kids and start discipling them to follow you as you follow Christ. Now, already as you leave, as you leave, and some of you dads were already discussing with one another. I heard two dads saying, well, here's what I do good on this. Here's where I'm weak on. Dad's gone mad. Dads make a difference. Ten different makers for dads. Top three are all based on this lesson that I just taught you. Top three of these ten different makers. So take this, take one of these, start praying over this, start talking about it with your with your spouse if you have one. If you don't have one, listen, it's never too late for God to begin to work in your kids. 
and He can work through you. He will be your partner. He will be your encourager. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm glad that you are a God that has a owner's manual, the ultimate fathering manual, and it's the Bible. And you've given us, Dad, something real simple to do, but it's something that we can't do without your help. And so I'm praying right now, Lord, that your spirit is helping men in this room get honest about where they are as a man, as a believer in you, and as a dad. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would control our hearts and our minds and lead us to a place where we can make the biggest possible difference. It begins with knowing you. It continues with being led by you and being filled with your power. And so, Father, I pray for every person here. And I pray for single moms who are frustrated. They are working hard. They're doing their best, but Lord, they need to connect with you, the ultimate Father. They need to follow you, Jesus, and let you lead them in leading their home, and you can make up the difference, because you're the ultimate difference maker. So I pray your blessings on each one here, that we as a church can be role models for the fatherless, we can be encouragers to single moms, and we can be strengtheners to dads who want to go mad, making a difference for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.